0: We are good, right? With the stream and everything is is good. This morning, this morning we are going to tackle the number one requested topic in our hot topics sermon series poll. As you guys know, we this summer we changed things up a little bit. I had preached through the Gospel of Luke for about a year and a half, and um, we finished up the Gospel of Luke, and and I just I, I wanted to do something a little different. Felt in my spirit to do something a little different, so. You guys know we, we had a poll, multiple choices, multiple options, and so uh, you picked six of them, and so over the past few weeks, we have been looking at each one of these topics. We've been looking at each one of these topics, and um, this morning, we are hitting the most requested topic of... of all those in the poll, and that is mental health. And so it is it's difficult to these days to listen to any news reports without hearing the phrases uh, of mental illness or mental health or suicide. And given the rates of depression, 80% of all Americans will at one time or another take an antidepressant because they have been clinically depressed. Today, I hope to give you some hope. And I want to start by letting you know that if you're experiencing mental health issues, you are not alone. And I'm not just talking about the current statistics regarding the mental health crisis. I'm talking about the even the heroes of the faith in Scripture. And so this morning, I want you to understand that the feelings and emotions that God made your brain a certain way, and it has to do with chemicals and brain functioning a certain way, just like the other parts of the body work in specific ways, like our hearts, our muscles, our tendons, our joints, our brain works the same way. We don't often think of it like that, but it's just the truth. We are physical being. So I want you to, I want to remind you this morning, as I said, we looked at a few weeks ago, you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. You have been made with gifts and abilities and a uniqueness that's unique to you and you alone, and you are as unique as your DNA, right? And when God made you, he did not make a mistake. Reality is, I think many of us in our lives struggle to get past that we aren't a big pile of brokenness, (laughs) And that's all part of the ploy of the enemy, but it's also part of the sickness and maybe in our brain. It's part of a sickness that has come as a result of sin. And so science is understanding more and more about how our brain works. And so sometimes sin, because of the fall, it affects the brain. Sometimes it affects the heart. Our living causes dying because, we, because of sin. We will die. It's just the truth. Unless the Lord returns, before you taste death, you will taste death. Now, the good news is that all of us are healed right now by Jesus, by his stripes. We are healed. Whether you live or whether you die, you're healed. Do you hear me? You are healed by his stripes. And so choose to live in that healing and choose to live in that hope. There's a lot of bad misunderstanding of many things when it comes to mental health. One example would be bipolar disorder. Often people use the term as if the person has become that condition. We shouldn't say, I am bipolar, any more than we should say, I am cancer. Rather, I have bipolar disorder, like I have cancer. But you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that would include your brain. Your brain affected by sin, by the consequences of sin, just like every other part of your body is affected by sin. We're not surprised when people get cancer, we're not surprised when people have heart issues. Or knee problems or kidney failure so why don't we get it when the problem is in the brain maybe we've over spiritualized the brain the brain is no more spiritual than any part of your body it's physiological it was created out of dust and your brain will return to dust Scientists estimate that the brain receives 100 million bits of information per second and contains 100 billion cells, many of which are neurons. Now, I'm not a scientist, so I'm just going by what the scientists say. These cells have a thin, complicated shape like the branch of a tree. They can be as short as a millimeter or as long as a meter. One end is the axon, the other end are the dendrites, the twigs on this branch. Now, I remember dissecting, looking at cells, and, but I'm not a scientist. You guys remember the neurons communicate with each other. They send chemical and electrical signals racing down that branch at 200 miles an hour. So that when the charge reaches the end of the cell, it leaps across the synapse and the space between those two branches is triggered. Doctors can see this happening on a brain scan. It is amazing how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. But like everything else, and I will repeat it, sin has messed up the brain too. Sin is a punk. And so sometimes chemicals misfire. This organ, just like your heart, doesn't always function the way it was properly intended. So this morning, I just want to remind you that even though certain things don't always work right, in Christ, you are still fearfully and wonderfully made. You are special to him. While the enemy wants you to believe the exact opposite, that you are not special, that you have no purpose, you have no hope, you have no future, you are not loved, that you are worthless, those are the lies of the enemy. God knows you, God sees you, God loves you. Question is, is what if we treated physical illnesses the same way many of us treat emotional illnesses? What if when someone had a heart attack, we just said, you just should trust God more? That'll heal you. It'll just go away. If if you just pray more, you just need to be stronger in the faith. I'm having a heart attack right now. It is really hard for me to even pray and muster up. Well, if you would just get that right, your heart attack would just stop right now. We don't treat the brain the same way we treat, but we should think about it in the same way. Does God heal? Of course, God heals. I am a witness of healing in my body. I have seen God heal and work miracles supernaturally, just that are not explainable by medicine or by doctors. But sometimes God does heal through medicine. And sometimes God heals at the resurrection. But God always ultimately heals and we should trust him. And we should use the wisdom he has given us to seek treatment. All illnesses are rooted in demonic things because of sin. But the brain is no more special in regards to the body than anything else. Did you know that every church has an average of one out of every four individuals who are struggling with a diagnosable mental illness at any given year? And the Christian church as a whole really doesn't know what to do with it because we over-spiritualize it. We'll talk about that in a bit. Shockingly, some, maybe this isn't shocking, some 30% of all pastors believe that mental illness is only demonic and that it always and is only a spiritual issue. Now listen, that's bad theology and bad science. Paul tells us, though, let me remind you that we have have a brain and we also, then that brain helps focus and become what our mind does. So if your brain functions properly, then you may not have to deal with some of these mental illness issues. But if there's some chemicals and some misfires that aren't working the way they are supposed to work, the way you were designed to work when you were first created out of dust, you might have depression, you might have anxiety, you might have bipolar. Those are just when the brain misfires. Some of you may worry a lot or ruminate a lot. You think about the same thing over and 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 and it just, it consumes you. Here's one way to think about that. Instead of letting it become a worry, let it become a prayer. Let it become the gift of intercession. So, Paul says to take captive your thinking. And you can even look at secular articles online or in magazines that tell us how to stop Ruminating or overthinking and they say exactly what paul says they say it's all about taking control of what you think and not defining yourself by your illness and yet again with mental illness so many people become their diagnosis again you don't say i am cancer you would say i have cancer the lie of the enemy is to get you to believe that if you have a mental health diagnosis that your life is over and that this is as good as it's ever going to get. We overthink this all the time. You know, you know, you know something that would help? Some sleep. When we sleep, our brain rests and our brain resets. It, it, it turns off in a sense and it files things where they need to go. You want to make somebody begin to act out and act in a way that may not even be natural to them? Deprive them of sleep for days and days. Let my wife stay up past one in the morning. (laughs) She doesn't do well if she stays up late. She's ready to go to bed. Even when we were youth pastors the lock-in, it was she was ready right those teenagers better behave so everybody has emotional issues everyone has emotional baggage we're complex but we're fearfully and wonderfully made so take control of your mind take control of your mind think on these things paul would say do what's scriptural Tell God, I need you to intervene in this. I can't do anything about it. All I'm doing is worrying and and over and over and over. Talk to God. Talk to God. Something else that science says and that these doctors would tell us is that it gets worse when you isolate. The more you isolate yourself in your life, the more you isolate and withdraw, the more difficult is to adapt and make changes and think differently you actually lose the plasticity of your brain here's what scripture says the scripture tells to go off and be alone no scripture says don't forsake meeting with other believers don't forsake the assembly of together you're a family you need to be with together it is so important to have these relationships because it's good for your brain and it's good for your soul So let's look at some folks, again, in the Bible that would say, that we could say battled some mental health issues. We're going to start with a a guy named David. Hello, darkness, my old friend. 80% of the American population will at one time, one point or another, experience clinical depression. Depression is probably the only illness of the brain that a lot of people understand because so many folks have experienced it. Depression is one of those things that that the human brain is, is prone to because of sin, because of fear and anxieties, and the fact that we live in this fallen and broken world. And when people have trauma or drama in their lives, what happens is your brain chemistry has to shoot out so much serotonin, and all of those other chemicals that it can't make enough. And so the brokenness of mankind and the brokenness of sin has affected our brain chemistry, and our brains can't keep up with the brokenness. But we do have hope because we have Jesus. Those of you who are hurting or hopeless or maybe depressed or have clinical health issues, there is hope. Because this isn't all there is. The problem, though, with the church is twofold. First, in our culture, we we have an idea that we're never supposed to be unhappy, that Christians are never supposed to face trials or never supposed to go through hard times. But the Bible does not say that. The Bible, Jesus, is is very matter-of-fact. In the world, you will have trouble. Jesus does not promise us, A carefree life. If he did, there'd be a whole lot more people following Jesus. But he does promise to go with us through the trials and the tribulations and the heartaches. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. We can have hope. Another thing that we do is we... we over-spiritualize mental issues and mental health issues we've already addressed that a little bit and i want to again remind you god can and does heal supernaturally god has healed me and people close to me supernatural and god has used medicine and medical treatment to bring healing so i would just encourage you that if you have a doctor and you see a doctor And if you use medicine in other areas of your life, and the doctor says you should use medicine in your mental health life, there's no shame in using medicine if the doctor believes that medicine would help you. But oftentimes, many Christians make people feel as if they have undealt with sin if they're going through these mental health issues. Listen. Listen. Yeah, there are times when choices that we make in life can lead into consequences, and maybe that could lead to a mental health issue. But it's not always the case. We just live in a broken world, and we live with the effects of a broken world. And so one day when Jesus does return, and he sets up his kingdom, and he wipes away every tear from our eyes, and there's no more sickness or death, that includes mental health. I want to highlight a couple folks in the Bible. We're going to look at Paul's instruction and then we're going to, and then we're going to pray and close this morning. But let's start in Psalms chapter 88. Hello darkness, my old friend. This is David. A song, a psalm that he wrote. If you've got your Bible, you want to look at it with me. Psalm 88. Lord God of my salvation, I cry out before you. Let's read through this. You see if you've ever been here. See if you've ever been where, where David is. And then maybe you're not, you may not be a doctor, but maybe you can get an idea. He's, I'm going to diagnose him right now, right? Lord God of my salvation, I cry out before you day and night. My prayer, may my prayer reach your presence. Listen to my cry, for I've had enough troubles, and my life is near Sheol, or death, or the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man without strength. Abandoned among the dead. I am like the slain lying in the grave whom you no longer remember and who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest part of the pit, in the darkest places, in the depths. Your wrath weighs heavily on me. Let me just tell you something. Oftentimes folks who are depressed and in despair, they will blame God when it's not God's fault. It's sin. It's brokenness. David saying, your wrath. No, God isn't mad at David. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have distanced me, my friends from me. You have made me repulsive to them. I am shut in and cannot go out. My, eye, my eyes are worn out from crying. Lord, I cry out to you all day long. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do departed spirits rise up to praise you? Will you faithfully love be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in abandon, in in abandon. Will your wonders be known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of oblivion? But I call to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer meets you, Lord. Why have you rejected me? Why do you hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been suffering and near death. I suffer your horrors. I am desperate. Your wrath sweeps over me. Your terrors destroy me. You surround me like water all day long. They close in on me from every side you have distant you have distanced loved one and neighbor from me darkness is my only friend this this just makes you want to shout doesn't it this is one of those passages you read scripture people just start running the aisles david sounds like he is facing a mental health crisis Maybe you you wonder why this would be included in the Bible. First, let me say, if you're experiencing a mental health crisis, look to the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. There is the full human experience in the Psalms, and there is hope, and there is God in the midst of them. Maybe you're wondering, why is this even in the Bible? Where is the good news? Where is the assurance and the reassurance? Where is the hope? Where is God? Those are the questions that he asks. So you say, well, how, you can't, you, Some folks would say, well, you can't ask God these kind of questions. Well, you sure can. They're included in the Bible. These are the questions that someone who may be experiencing depression would ask. There are questions that many of us have asked when we struggle with anxiety and depression. So I would just say, thank you, Lord, that you have included Psalm 88 in your scripture. Because it acknowledges that being a believer is not all happiness and, yay, God's spirit fingers. Stuff happens in our lives just like it does in the lives of unbelievers. There are times when God feels very far away, very hard to see through the haze of our weaknesses and our limitations. Though sometimes... They are the reality of this imperfect, fallen world. The writer of Psalm 88, if he was not suffering from depression, the person knew what depression felt like. Even God in your depression may feel like darkness. But depression is a liar. It tells you that you're worthless, that you have no friends, that you're beyond hope, that you have no future, that you are only a burden to others. Depression is a liar. Psalm 88 reassures us that struggles with depression and other forms of mental illness are not due to a lack of faith. In fact, the writer shows great faith by continuing to cry out to God even when God seems distant or absent or cruel. It takes more faith to believe God when it's hard than to believe God when things are easy. So Psalm 88 tells us and that doubt and difficulty are not a sign of a lack of faith. Sometimes there are dark parts in our journey. And one of the most harmful misconceptions about depression and other mental illness is that they're a sign of weak faith or of a weak person. Sometimes believing that Christ, that they're being helpful, Christians will tell somebody dealing with depression that they can get better if they just pray more, read their Bible, be more thankful, or be more positive, be more optimistic. Now listen, those things are helpful, right? Don't abandon those things. Don't abandon those things. But recognize that there may be some issues happening within your brain that you, that you need to have... A doctor to speak to. Depression is an illness. You wouldn't tell someone with the flu or cancer just to pray more or think good thoughts. If your kid has a fever, you give them a Tylenol. Now, it's more difficult to help someone with depression or other mental illness than someone who is suffering physically. Because you can see a cut. You can cover it with a bandage. You can take a temperature. An x-ray can reveal a broken bone. You can look at someone's throat and the doctor can determine if they have strep throat and they can give them an antibiotic. But mental illness is, all, is, is not as visible. Often, especially to the one experiencing it, but mental illness can be just as debilitating or even deadly. So how can we, the people of God, the body of Christ, how can we help? First, we need to get rid of the stigma of depression and other mental illness instead of simply implying that mental illness is always and only a faith issue. We must acknowledge it's also a medical, can be a medical issue. We should also follow the example of the writer of Psalm 88, and find courage to admit our need for God and the struggle that we're facing. In the same way that God gifted doctors and nurses and other medical professionals with skills and talents to deal with our physical ailments, God has gifted doctors and therapists and counselors to treat our mental health struggles, to seek the help of professionals that does not deny God's power or God's ability to heal us. God works through those that He has called and equipped to heal. God works through a therapist and and, and God works through doctors and God works through the altar and God works through the prayers of the people of God. God works. So as a church, we should be a source of strength and support for those dealing with depression anxiety and mental health challenges. We need to be in the presence of God and the presence of one another. There is strength there. There is strength in the presence of God and in the presence of others. Now hear me, church. And I plan to talk on this more in a bit, but Depression may be a mental issue for you. Depression may be a spiritual issue for you. Depression could be a combination. And so you need to treat both the way they need to be treated. If your anxiety or depression is keeping you from doing things you need to do, you need to get help. If you're having trouble finding hope and believing things can get better, then you need to consider getting help. Commit to church. Commit to your friend group. See a doctor. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. And if you feel you're not worth getting help, then you need to reconsider the words of Scripture, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. If you feel like hurting yourself or that the world would be a better place if you weren't in it, you need to get help immediately. Call a hotline, call a friend, get into the Word, call Lee and Wayne, Call me. We need to be here for each other. No matter who you are, you are a beloved child of God. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made. You are God's masterpiece recreated in Christ Jesus to do all the good things he has planned for you to do. The enemy does not want you to fulfill God's purpose for your life. He wants you to buckle under the weight of whatever brokenness you may feel. But God has purpose for you. You are loved, and you are awesome. Another person in Scripture, wonderful hero of the faith, just like David, who said, "Darkness is my only friend." Elijah, he said, "I just want to die. I just want to die. I just want to die." Maybe some of you have even had thoughts of of self harm. You've had suicidal ideation. First, I want to tell you to do this, rebuke the enemy of your soul, because the enemy came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. First of all, rebuke the enemy. Don't give him voice in your life. You are a beloved image bearer of God, created with purpose and pleasure. And, and this Satan would like nothing more for you to give up and give in to those negative thoughts. So rebuke the enemy. Rebuke the enemy, but also seek help. Get a therapist, talk to a friend, go to a counselor, see a doctor, spend time with Jesus. And hear this, you are not alone. First Kings, you're not alone in these ideas and these thoughts. First Kings chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do it so severely if I don't make your life like one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked and there was this, and, and there at his head was a loaf of baked bread and, and hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down. Then the angel Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights, the horror of the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing? Here, Elijah, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand at the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. And the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you're to anoint Hazil as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Mola, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, even at every knee who has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him this idol. Listen, Elijah had just experienced this great victory, but now he's afraid and he's tired. I have had enough, Elijah says. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. You've experienced great victory, you've, and, 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 and you're tired now. Maybe you've experienced a threat, and, a, and, 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 and there's a fearful thing ahead of you, and now you're not sure how to proceed. Maybe you've even prayed that you would die. But notice some things that happened to Elijah. First is this, and if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. The first thing that, that Elijah did was He rested. He rested. He fell asleep under the broom tree. Listen to me, if you're experiencing mental health crisis, you have to rest. You have to sleep. So I tried really hard and it doesn't work. Your brain needs to reset. If you aren't sleeping, get help sleeping. Pray, read. See a doctor. They make melatonin gummies. They make other gummies too, but we're not taking those. Get some rest. Get some sleep. You need it. God gave us a Sabbath day for a reason. Secondly, what did he do? He ate food and he drank water and he rested some more. Take care of yourself. Eat better. Drink more water. Your brain needs water. Let's pause. My brain feels better already. (laughs) Eat better, drink more water. Your brain needs it, and you need to get some more rest. If you overdo it physically, you will overdo it eventually. You'll overdo it mentally, and you'll overdo it emotionally. Thirdly, He got some rest, he ate, he drank. Thirdly, he had an encounter with God. We need to meet with God in the cave of our mental anguish. We need to move our focus from the wind and the fire and the earthquake and all the things that want to distract us and pull our attentions, and we need to... Listen to that still, small voice of God in the midst of all of the chaos around us. He had an encounter with God. And fourthly, you need to remind yourself that you belong. When Elijah thought that he was alone, and that no one cared, and that nothing he did mattered, that he had no purpose, he became ready to die But listen, God reminded him that he belonged to the people of God. That he was not alone, even when he felt alone. And that he needed to get back with the people of God and remind himself that there was a purpose. You belong. You belong. You have purpose. Don't give up. we we'll to look at Paul for a second this morning. He was pressed but not crushed. Y'all remember when we, everybody used to do that song, "Trade My Sorrows," and we'd say, "Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord." Pressed but not crushed. Second Corinthians chapter one. Paul, because Paul too, at times, despaired even of life. Y'all didn't know all these people in the Bible had such issues, did you? <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 1, starting verse 8. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on your, our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. So, Paul felt completely overwhelmed. He felt like he despaired even of life. He needed the people to pray for him. Why? 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 Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we see it was because he was a minister. Indeed, instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, through slander and good report, regarded as deceivers, yet true, as unknown, yet recognized, as dying, yet see we live, and as being disciplined, yet not killed, as grieving, yet always rejoicing, as, uh, as poor yet enriching many, as having nothing yet possessing everything. This is ministry. This was Paul's feelings, having nothing yet possessing everything. It was overwhelming to Paul. It made Paul despair of even life. But he also knew that the same God who had delivered him before would deliver him now and would deliver him in the future. 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, now we have this treasure and clay jar so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Down to verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4, therefore we do not give up, Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person or our spirit is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Yes, church, we are fragile clay jars, but we have a power in us that does not come from us. We may be overwhelmed, but we are not overcome. We must set our eyes on what we do not see right now. We must set our eyes on hope, on healing, on life, on purpose, on promise, on Christ Jesus. We may need someone to help get our eyes on Jesus. We may need friends to lower us through the roof of the house because we can't walk on our own. We may need a doctor to give us medicine because we can't get our brain to slow down long enough for us to get our eyes on. Jesus. But we must keep reminding ourselves of the goodness and the faithfulness of God to deliver us again and again and again and again and again and again. again. That's the God we serve. We need to get our mind, body, and soul under control. You all do not know of the very good 19 early 20 2000s excuse me early 2000s christian rapper named john rubin rubin what are you dippity doing he had a song that said that was called identify and i'm just going to give you part of it this morning Trained to fail before I could walk. Now I'm undoing 20 years of lies I've been taught. Not always easy to let the past be forgot. When memories keep you caught, let's travel back. Now hold up, stop. Why? Because if I dwell on the past, I get focused on who I'm not. I strive to stay away, but that ain't easy. When who I want to control... My destiny tested me, man. It's got me tripping. In these moments of despair, I feel my foundation slipping. It starts ripping, leaving me broken. Now I'm completely confused and I'm vulnerable and open. I try to run, but who am I running from? See, with what, within my ba- myself, this battle has come. So basically, you say, it's up to me because my greatest ally or my worst enemy. Because I'm my greatest ally or my own worst enemy get your mind, body, and soul under control. Who am I? Identify. Get your mind, body, and soul under control. Who are you? All is new. I'm not that person anymore. That's what the blood was shed for, no longer a failure, living life more abundantly. Therefore, you'll never see me living less than victory. I'm not that person anymore. That's what the blood was shed for, no longer a failure, living life more abundantly. Therefore, you'll never see me living less than victory. Now you all need to go listen to the first John Reuben album. So yeah, John Reuben is quoting from the Apostle Paul. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 starting at verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ spirit soul body mind body soul those are interchangeable ways to speak of who we are in our humanity we have a body we have a mind a consciousness we have a spirit or a soul and paul prays that all three of these would be sanctified completely Made perfect, that's what that means, sanctified, to be kept sound and blameless. These three are interconnected. When our body is tired, our mind gets tired, our spirit gets tired. When we are energized spiritually, it strengthens our mind and our body. When our mind is overstimulated, it wears on us emotionally and physically. Remember Elijah. They are interrelated. Elijah needed rest, he needed food, and he needed God. You may need rest, a better diet, an exercise, a therapist, a counselor, or a prescription, but no matter what you need for your body, you cannot forget the spiritual component. Each part influences the other. Often our fallen nature, these clay pots that is our humanity, cries out for God who understands and heals and keeps us. We must take care of the whole person our mind our body our spirit our brain they are interconnected they are interconnected Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. This great high priest is Jesus who understands and knows the feelings that you're feeling, he understands those thoughts that you may be fighting against. And he helps us in our weakness. And he has given us he has given us a road map so that we can be whole. Body, mind, and soul. You are loved are valuable you are not what the enemy says you are what god says you are and god says you're his child his loved his beloved his holy people his prized possession his image bearer his bride Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the truth of your word this morning. Lord, statistics would tell us that just, even in this room, that at least 25% in this room are probably experiencing some kind of mental health crisis. Maybe there are in, some in this room who have been given a diagnosis. And there's often been a stigma attached to that diagnosis that wouldn't be attached to another diagnosis. But help them not Give in to the lies of the enemy that would tell them that they're less than. But they are valued, they are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the same Jesus that died on the cross for our sin. Died on the cross for our healing. And we can trust him and follow him. And we can keep our eyes focused on him. And he will walk with us every step of the journey to healing and wholeness when it comes i don't know but you walk with us through every step of the way all the way to healing and wholeness